Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and there's Jerry. And uh, this is Stuff You Should Know, the schnoz edition. (laughs) Such a great word. It is, man, and it's such a great descriptor, too. Like, I consider my nose a schnoz. There's a big difference between a schnoz and a nose, and I've got a schnoz. Yeah, and what I think is even funnier, and this goes back to the Saturday Night Live, uh, which one was it? It was a Martin Short season. Okay. And it was one of the Martin Short sketches where he's doing, uh, I think Nathan Thurm was the attorney that he did occasionally. Okay. And he said the word schnoz, like snoz, without the sh. Uh-huh. And it just made it even funnier. He said, we don't make snozzes. He was talking about fake noses. So did he did he get it wrong or did he mess up a line or what was the deal? Oh, I think it was just the comedic genius of Martin Short. Yeah, he's pretty good. And speaking of which, <laughs> uh, this has nothing to do with that, but we're teasing out listener mail today early because we have collected. I knew we'd get some good grilled cheese tips. Yeah. And we collected a little <clears throat> small compendium, so it's going to be a bit of an extended listener mail where we go over the listener mail tips for grilled cheese sandwiches. We're really going to wear out that background music. So stick around. So we're talking nose jobs today, Chuck, also mm-hmm. called rhinoplasty. You would think rhinoplasty is the clinical term, and I guess technically it is. But if you are a plastic surgeon or cosmetic surgeon, um, you would probably not call it that any longer. You'd call it nose sculpting instead, which to me really kind of underscores the the vibe about nose jobs today that is a little bit here a little bit there nothing too ridiculously radical and that's a far cry from you know the the rhinoplasty of the past from what i understand yeah i've heard it calls no, uh, nose reshaping as well and rhinoplasty itself comes from greek of course mm-hmm. rhino meaning nose or schnoz and or schnoz <laughs> or schnoz uh, and Plasticos, P-L-A-S-I-K-O-S, which looks so, so Greek, uh, means to shape into mold, and that's what plastic surgery uh, comes from, of course. So rhinoplasty is just reshaping re- the snaz. <laughs> man, you are on fire in 2022, man. <laughs> really? Yeah. Finally? Yes. I mean, no. Hey, it's no, 14 like, years. No, you've been on fire, but I'm saying like, like, you've really just stepped it up in the last, like, this past year. I don't know what the deal is, but I love it. I'm I'm loving it. I'm here for it. And I want more and more. All right. Nowhere to go but down. That's right. Uh, that's what they call a setup. You're going to do great, Chuck. <laughs> what kind of snot? Thank you for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I demure, but, uh, and try to move on very quickly when given a compliment. Yeah. Well, so let's do that here. I, I, that's fine. That's fine. But I also want to add something to that. I, I, that is now the last time I'm going to like drag one of your great jokes out and like, okay. you know, <laughs> beat it with a rug beater until it, it's totally not funny anymore. Now I'm fully on board. So I'm just going to play along. Okay. okay? Um, and act like it's just normal. Yeah. Uh, what kind of nose job would someone get? Why would someone want a nose job? 
Oh, there's all sorts of reasons you could want a nose job. You could be a um, a 7th century BCE Indian thief or adulterer and have had your nose lopped off as punishment. Okay, bring it forward. You could have been in uh, one of the world wars and uh, been facially um, injured by a mine. Bring it forward. You could have been born uh, with a kind of nose that is uh, characteristic of your ethnicity and want to have changed it to fit in with waspy mid-century America. Getting closer. (laughs) And then lastly, um, you can also want to uh, reshape your nose for medical reasons as well. Right. The only thing you left out, which, and we're going to get to all this stuff in greater detail, is uh, you may have had syphilis. Mm-hmm. Which let uh, at a time in uh, our history mm-hmm. that left you with kind of a hole in the front of your face, and just big tip for people: do not Google syphilis nose no. and look for images because while you will see that and that is alarming in and of itself, uh, you will see lots of nastiness that you won't be able to forget anytime soon. Yeah, because apparently uh, syphilis causes necrosis of your soft tissues and. You know, soft tissues combine to kind of give us a characteristic appearance. And when that soft tissue is missing, it can be, you know, um, dis- disarming at first or alarming at first until you just stop and think like, oh, it's the person, you know. That's right. Uh, so as far as cosmetic stuff goes, and if th- this is purely like, hey, I just don't really like the way my nose looks and I would like to 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 get it to look the way I want it to look. Yeah. Uh, some of the reasons are just facial balance, like how big your face is in relation to the size of your nose. Mm-hmm. You might have trouble with the width of your nose, or it might have something to do with a visible uh, hump or bump, which I love. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think, is it called a Roman nose? Yes. That has sort of the hump? Yeah, yeah. I find that to be a very attractive feature on a lady. Gotcha, okay, cool. <laughs> so I'm I'm a fan. Um, so you know that would be something you would see more in profile, mm-hmm. or you know it might be the tip of your nose might droop or be turned up in a more I guess they call it technically they call it a pug fashion. Yes. Um, or it might be hooked, or you might not like your nostrils. They may not be symmetrical. Like they can kind of do whatever you want done these days. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and one of the things that um that has evolved as far as nose jobs goes that I kind of touched on earlier is it's no it, it used to be especially in the heyday of the mid-century of the 50s and 60s when you know nose jobs really started to take off for cosmetic reasons especially among um people of Jewish ancestry in America. Mm-hmm. There was like a I want this nose. You go in with a magazine picture or right. you go in with your friend and be like give me her nose. You did her nose. I want the same nose. And, like, there was a, a, a just this kind of general idea that you, you just got exactly the nose you wanted without any regard to whether that nose actually looked natural on your face. Right. And it's evolved over time. And the, one of the reasons why is because there was, like, a perfect nose, an American nose, a Caucasian nose that was, like, an ideal version of beauty. And over time, especially in the last, like, 10 or so years, it seems like, there's been a huge sea change in the way people who get nose jobs approach it and that they're like, can you just take the more extreme features of my nose like you just went over on that list and mm-hmm. just kind of tone them down a little bit? Don't give me a different nose. I want a slightly more idealized version of my nose. I want to look like myself. Right. I don't want somebody else's nose. I just want it tamed a little bit. And that's kind of where it stands today from everything I saw as far as nose jobs go. Yeah, and it sort of reminds me of that great scene from the movie Singles when Bridget Fonda goes in for breast augmentation surgery, mm-hmm. and uh, Bill Pullman is the uh, surgeon. Yeah, Bill Pullman. And I wasn't thinking Bill Paxton. I just couldn't remember if it was Bill Pullman. <laughs> sure. Uh, and she, you know, they have the little weird science program where they make the breast larger or smaller by just hitting up or down on the computer, and she goes way big, and he's <laughs> like – why don't we like fit your frame a little more? He's sort of trying to talk her into just a more reasonable form of that surgery. Right. And I think, and that was a long time ago. And I think you're right. I think these days, and of course people get all kinds of extreme, you know, body surgery done. But I think these days it is a little bit more 
common for someone to say like, hey, I'm not trying to look like a completely different version, but this one thing has always bothered me. Yeah, and then one other thing I want to say too that seems to be a common um, part of the discussion around nose jobs is um, a lot of people who get them tend to view them as not so much like a physical um, operation, or it is a physical operation, but it's to correct a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. That the person doesn't actually... Like, there's nothing wrong with their nose. They just don't like their nose, and they've come to dislike their nose so much that they have trouble, like, living their life because they're so self-conscious about it. And to them, people who get nose jobs say, this is, this, is this, this is just smart. Like, there's no reason for me not to do this. It's going to help. And apparently, it does help sometimes. So I don't encourage it one way or the other. I certainly don't um, judge or criticize or um, anybody who does get a nose job if they feel like it's the right thing for them. But it just seems, Chuck, very much in step with the 21st century and the like. people in their, you know, late teens and 20s and, you know, even early 30s are just so aware, way more mm-hmm. aware than we were when we were their age. Um that that kind of has to do with nose jobs, too. It's trans- translated and transferred over to nose jobs, that people are just thinking more about it rather than, I hate my nose, I want this nose, you know? Yeah, I think it falls under the general umbrella of, like, now there is a lot more um, sort of shunning of this idealized beauty notion yeah. than there has been in a long time. And and I'm not weighing in one or the other either because it's a very personal choice. But mm-hmm. I will say that I do love the idea of this idealized form of beauty being kind of kicked to the curb to in, say something more modern. Indeed. There are a few things that have been more harmful that didn't involve like guns or explosions than an yeah. I- a single idealized form of beauty, you know? All right. So I agree. Um, let's go over some statistics right out of the gate. Uh, most of these are from the United States. We do have a few international statistics, but it seems like those are a little harder to trust just based on how they're gathered, but uh, about 2.3 million. Um, I think this is complete cosmetic surgical procedures in the U.S. in 2020. And I think nose reshaping is and was the most common, about 352,000 nose jobs in 2020 in the U.S. Uh, far more women, uh, 287,000 compared to 65,000 men. And teens... Uh, make up about 13% of those. Uh, 20 to 29-year-olds make up 31%. If you live out West, you're more likely about a third of the nose jobs are performed out West. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means, you know, Los Angeles County. <laughs> Probably. Uh, and then uh, Caucasian, white people get way more nose jobs than anyone else by a long shot. Uh, 71% of the nose jobs in 2020 were on Caucasians. Uh, African-Americans with just 5%. Uh, Hispanic, 10%, and Asian Pacific Islander, 11%. So if you're a white American 25-year-old woman living in Los Angeles, there's basically a 100% chance that you're going to get a nose job. I think you have to. From what I'm seeing here. Um, What about internationally? Well, like you said, the stats are a little wobbly compared to the USA stats, but apparently Brazil is number one. They're the leader. Um, followed by Turkey and America, um, and then Argentina and Russia. This list, I've seen reference elsewhere that Iran is actually number four behind Brazil, Mexico, mm. and America. So it's just it's just up for grabs. Apparently, the rhinoplasty reporting standards around the world are, have have something to be desired. Sure, but let's just say in the top five, six, seven. You could definitely have Brazil, the United States, Mexico, Iran, Turkey, that kind of thing. Right. I think that's because the way they count rhinoplasty around the world is they just have a little, like a suggestion box type thing on the way out. And they say, well, you like to keep track of who does this. So just write your real name on a piece of paper and just stick it in there. Sure. Or we'll just trust you to do that. There is a big mistranslation and they accidentally translated not schnoz, but snoz. (laughs) <laughs> and confused everybody else. That's good. Uh, should we take a break here and then dive into the history? Sure. All right, let's do it. Stop, 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 stop. Stop, 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 stop. 
LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true. And customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7 all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times. But the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep, this year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. That's right, and Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com, or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode... Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. So, Chuck, I made reference before about uh, living in 600 or the 7th century BCE. um, Mm -hmm. And maybe you were uh, undergoing a rhinoplasty operation because you had your nose removed as a punishment. Um. That's actually where rhinoplasty began. Like, it's not like there was some ridiculously primitive procedure that somebody tried once and then the idea was lost for a couple thousand years and then it got developed in the 19th century by some British guy. That's not at all how it happened. There was an Indian surgeon named Sushrita, which is not his name. It's actually an adjective that means renowned. But Sushrita is considered the father of cosmetic surgery and that this guy was not only performing cosmetic surgery, like rebuilding noses from nothing, um, he was documenting it too in in medical texts that he wrote that survived. And he created a technique called the Indian flap that was still in use into the 20th century. Is that how it's pronounced, his name? Sushruta? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going, or Sushruta? I mean, it's a you. I guess I'm in the mood for a margarita. <laughs> Uh, I'm in the mood to do a little dance called the Indian flap because that sounds like a lot of fun at a party. <laughs> um, the surgical procedure, not so fun. No. Uh, I mean, should we read part of this, yeah. I guess? Or should yeah. we read all of it? I think it's it's worthwhile, yeah. All right. So this is a description of the Indian flap technique from Sushruta, <laughs> a.k.a. Sushruta <laughs> himself. Uh, the portion of the nose to be covered should be first measured with a leaf as you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then a piece of skin of the required size should be dissected, 
from the living skin of the cheek, which is super advanced. They still, I mean, it's grafting, right? Right, and it's leaving a blood supply coming from the cheek still. Yeah. Very smart. Very good. Uh, so we're, we're approving of these surgical methods. But 2,600-year-old surgical methods, you know, we're, yeah. we're in a position to do that. We live in the 21st century, baby. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me see. Uh, dissected from the leaving skin in the cheek and turned back to cover the nose, keeping a small uh, pedestal attached to the cheek, which is what you referenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physician should then uh, place the skin on the nose and stitch the two parts swiftly, keeping the skin properly elevated by inserting two tubes of aranda, which is a castor oil plant, in the position of the nostril so that the new nose gets proper shape when the skin has united and granulated, if the nose is too short or too long, the middle of the flap should be divided and an endeavor made to enlarge or shorten it. So it sounds like they're just taking part of the cheek, folding it back over into itself to meet the other part with a tube in the middle, and then having it grow together, right? Yeah, two tubes, two, actually. Two tubes. Yeah, and they still yeah. do that today. They use um, stents to hold to, to have the, the, the procedure hold its place or shape afterward, um, and they leave it in there to, until it heals. So, like, this guy was basically, it's like that saying, I can't remember where it came up, but um, somebody was describing how advanced this development was or whatever development it was right out of the gate where they said that they basically invented the airplane fully functioning with, like, tray tables for in-flight meals and everything. Like, <laughs> totally, this guy, like, just figured it out from the outside. Yeah. And it's not like we're taking, you know, the um, skin from your cheek today and using that um, to to um, to build a brand new nose. They would probably actually be more likely to take it from other parts of your body. But the, the, the concepts are still very much the same. And it's weird to think that rhinoplasty has been around kind of unchanged for almost 3,000 years. Yeah, and just to reiterate so it's clear, this is the procedure when there was no more nose Mm -hmm. because it had been completely cut off. So they're really starting from zero and forming a new nose. Uh, And yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I'm sure compared to what, I mean, no matter the result, it probably looked better than what they had going on before, Yeah, would be my guess. Oh, yeah. Um, So this, uh, this, this technique made its way... Um, through uh, Egypt, uh, or out from India into Egypt, over to Europe finally, um, where they were dealing with uh, syphilis outbreaks in the 15th and 16th century, like you were mentioning. Um, There's an Italian surgeon that made his contribution, Gaspar. uh, Actually, I think you should take this. (laughs) Gaspari Tagliacosi. Very nice. And back in 1597, he said, I'm really going to advance this. Instead of that skin from your cheek, I'm going to take it from your upper arm. So he just kind of did a modified Indian flap, and I guess you'd call that the Italian flap. But then (laughs) finally in the 19th century, um, there were a couple of surgeons in the late 19th century who really kind of duke it out for the title of father of uh, plastic surgery or at least aesthetic plastic surgery, because we got really good at doing things like rebuilding noses using rhinoplasty. And we got so good at it that people started saying like, hey, your nose is perfectly fine and it functions, but would you like to take a little off the top? And cosmetic surgery was born. That's right. Uh, I believe the first gentleman you're referring to is a Michiganer. Is that what they call themselves? Uh, I think it's actually Gander. I'm not kidding. a Michigander? Yes, because I saw an interview with, um, oh, I can't remember their governor's name, but she had a sign that said, like, proud Michigander. Yeah, yeah, I know the governor. Uh, okay, Michigander, I like that. Mm-hmm. 1887, his name was John Orlando Rowe, and this was, I think, technically the first paper about cosmetic nose jobs called Correction of the Pug Deformity. Uh, And then the next guy, he had some fun nicknames. He was a uh, Jewish-German surgeon named Dr. Uh, Jacques Joseph, uh, and his nickname was Nose Joseph. (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah, he actually kind of ties into our uh, episode on World War I soldier masks. Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I knew this rung a bell. I get the impression that he was probably working in the same 
maybe the same campus that the guy who led that mask department to to build masks for um, soldiers who came back with um, facial differences from from like bombs and bullets and stuff. Uh, this guy was actually doing cosmetic surgery um, to help repair those injuries, um, and he got interested eventually in making um, changes to help uh, Jewish Europeans fit in better. And we'll talk a little more about that later when we talk about ethnic uh, cosmetic surgery. But um, that was kind of like his evolution. He went from helping soldiers to kind of helping, you know, wealthy citizenry in Europe. Uh, And because of that, because this guy showed that there was a huge demand that no one realized was actually there before, a huge explosion of, I don't know, charlatans, 'er ne'er-do-wells, shiftless slackers, Snake oil salesman? Sure. Um, who who uh, figured out, like, hey, I'll just give this a shot. How hard can it be? Um, and the, the rise of the beauty doctor came along. Yeah, the beauty doctor, uh, it's sort of a contradictory name, I would imagine, because these were the unlicensed practitioners, uh, outpatient nose jobs, like, hey, I've got some paraffin wax. Let me inject that in there. Mm-hmm. Because that's a great idea. Just don't go out in the sun. Right. And it's also carcinogenic. So this was, you know, a very sort of um, cut rate job that you didn't have to pay a lot of money for. And it's probably, you know, the expectation was not great. But it was at a time where, uh, I guess, you know, legitimate plastic surgery was just entering the fray. So people didn't know any better. And so um, there were a lot of bad, bad outcomes, I think, from these beauty doctors. What, what's nuts to me, Chuck, is this still going on today with butt oh, augmentation? Sure. There's a lot of um, underground, yeah. like, unlicensed people who use non-medical stuff like silicone and pump it into people's butts to, like, make your butt bigger. Um, yeah. And it's cheaper. Like you said, it's much cheaper because they're unlicensed and they kind of know what they're doing from experience, but they also have no way of getting you to the hospital. They're not doing this in the hospital. And some people have died. I read about a mother-daughter team who killed a woman because they injected silicone and they accidentally got it into her muscle, which introduced it to the bloodstream and killed her within an hour or so. Um, It's really sad. Um, And apparently there have been other people who died like this. So it's still going on. But uh, as far as rhinoplasty is concerned, I'm pretty sure... It's widespread enough and just affordable enough that people aren't going to underground surgeons like they were in the 19th century for it. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that that still exists and that people can get away with doing this stuff like out of their houses, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so things boomed in the 1950s in the U.S. like you were talking. And I guess now comes the time where we talk a little bit <laughs> about the procedure itself and the nose itself. Um, it's a little, you know, what really helps is if you're not uh, driving a car or something, if you can just look up sort of a a profile of the nose that's labeled for the different parts, <laughs> which uh, Dave Ruse put this together for us, right? Yeah, he did. Did a great job, too. Yeah, Dave was kind enough to actually include a, a picture like this, uh, which really helps kind of break it all down. Um, you've got your upper third of the nose, which is the nasal bone and is and is just, you know, it's, that's where the bone is. That's where if you get your, if you get popped in the square in the nose with somebody's fist Mm -hmm. and you break your nose, Mm -hmm. you're breaking that nasal bone because almost all of the rest is what's known as cartilage, which is just, you know, that's what, that's the shape that you're seeing. And that's why you can squish on the front of your nose and your nostrils. And it's, you know, it just feels like, uh, what does it feel like? Help me out. (laughs) It feels more rubbery than the top part of it. Rubbery. There you go. And also, even if you don't have a phone or you can't look at pictures right now, you can feel the difference. Like if you Mm -hmm. pinch the bridge of your nose and just kind of slide it down past about a third of the way down toward the tip and just kind of move it, wiggle it back and forth, you can Uh feel that's bone. It's not moving. That's cartilage. That's going to move. It's going to do the Indian flap if you move it enough. I want to sneeze. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't make me sneeze. Just uh, put your tongue up against your roof of your mouth. <laughs> Is that supposed to work, actually? Yeah, it also works for ice cream headaches, too. Oh, okay. Man, we're just slinging the knowledge today. <laughs> we are. Uh, so then you've got your radix, R-A-D-I-X. This is the built-up uh, cartilage um, over the ridge of your nose. Mm-hmm. 
And this is where you might get, like, if you have a hump on your nose, it's probably going to be on that radix. And this might be something that people choose to get uh, flattened out. Yep. You also have um, one of the more interesting pieces of your body that I didn't realize the name of it, but I love it now that I know it. The um, columella, which is the little skin between your two nostrils, the little kind of vertical strip of skin that separates Mm -hmm. your nostrils. I thought that was the septum. I learned all kinds of stuff when I did this. The septum's inside your nose. The columella is the part you can actually touch. Yeah. So just touch the little piece of skin between your your nose and my friend. (laughs) You're touching your columella. That's right. The septum's up inside your nose above that, and it actually continues the separation of your nostrils in your nose. Yeah, and see, I always thought, because I just, I never knew much about this stuff or looked into it because I have a great nose. But, you do. Uh, <laughs> I always thought a deviated septum meant that that air, that the septum was actually like had a hole in it. It can, that's perforated really though. That can happen through okay. habitual cocaine use. Well, yeah, you always heard that story about Mick Jagger, which is probably not even true. What, his septum but, fell out or something? Yeah, like he had it, like it was completely dissolved at some point. That can, no, that can happen. I saw a study where out of like 104 cocaine users who used like 10 or more times a month, which is a pretty heavy cocaine user, um, like 10 of them, 10% had uh, had a perforated septum. And that eventually gets so perforated that your septum can just kind of fall in and your your actual nose can collapse. Yeah, I think um, I wasn't saying that that's not possible. I just doubted that it was Mick Jagger because it just seemed like one of those far out celebrity rumor things. Yeah. But who who knows? He certainly, you know, was familiar with that drug at one point in his life. Right. It's like the time Reggie Jackson slash Eddie Murphy slash Lionel Richie told that lady (laughs) in the elevator to sit down, but it was actually his dog she was talking, he was talking to. Yeah. Refer to our episode on uh, urban legends from a gazillion years ago. Uh, and then, what, wait, we're missing one more piece. Oh, just the tip. Yeah. Just uh, the ALAR, A-L-A-R cartilage mm-hmm. uh, is the tip there. And uh, that's where, you know, if your tip turns up a little bit, they call that the pug deformity, or they did back then. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure what they would call it now. A cute button nose. A cute button nose. Or if it has a little tiny hook at the end, mm-hmm. uh, you cute know, little some hook. people might want to get that done. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's I, there's few more personal decisions to whether you get a nose job or not. Yeah. Like, I almost can't think of one. And by almost, I mean, I can't. Right. (laughs) So you've got all these different parts of the nose, and we went over them because they all kind of come into play, um, depending on what you're going to do. But, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the leading reasons people go in for a rhinoplasty is to get their nose um, reduced in size in some way, shape, or form. You can also increase the size of your nose. Um, One very common um, uh, type of rhinoplasty is where you actually elongate the nose to have it come further off of your face so that in relation to your face, your nose appears narrower. Even though they haven't sized down your nose, they just made it longer, which makes it seem narrower. A lot of this is kind of optical illusion. Yeah, that's called projection rhinoplasty. And that uh, obviously is going to require you graft something from another body part Mm -hmm. uh, or from a cadaver. That happens as well. Yeah. I'm not sure why they would do that instead of one of your own unless you didn't want any of the rest of your body being removed. I I don't know. Who knows? But, yeah, they definitely do. They'll use that from cadavers. They, They can use it from rib cartilage septum cartilage, ear cartilage. There's a lot of places they can harvest cartilage from. And you don't need a lot. I I get the very distinct impression that a little bit of rhinoplasty goes Mm -hmm. a very long way. I think that's true. I don't know if if we really kind of harped on this or not, Chuck, but remember when you said plasticose um, means plastic or to shape or to mold in that sense? That's Mm -hmm. something I think we should point out because for a very long time, I always thought plastic surgery meant that they were inserting, like, plastic stuff in really? there. Yeah. I think a lot of I people I never thought that. that. Yeah. Interesting. All right. No, they mean plastic in the term of something being able to be molded or bent mm-hmm. or changed or shaped. That's what they, they're using the term plastic for. So there's no plastic use. They're using cartilage, 
using bone, they're removing cartilage, they're removing bone. And depending on where you remove cartilage or where you remove bone, it has a huge effect on the overall appearance and shape and size of your nose. That's right. Uh, the It's a bit of a misnomer that you have to have your nose broken to have rhinoplasty. That is uh, usually not true, although it can be. Uh, they've really come a long way over the years in how, and kind of like with every surgery, with uh, the, the, it's as non-invasive as it can get these days. And there are a couple of different types. There are open and closed rhinoplasties, and they each have their advantages. Uh-huh. But with the open type, you're going to make that incision and in the... Uh, Columella? Columella, I think. Columella, man, I really messed that up. (laughs) Uh, And that is that thin strip of skin that you talked about Mm -hmm. between your nostrils. Yes. So a little incision there. Yeah. And then you can access the cartilage from that point and the bone through that single incision. Right. Uh, They like this when uh, it takes a little longer for the swelling to go down, I think, and uh, you might have a little uh, have a little bit of a scar, but I think this is the one that they prefer to use when you need a little more work done than usual, a little more cartilage. Right, because cutting that columella allows them to lift the skin off of your nose and access it more readily. So if they're doing extensive work, this is just going to make it easier for them. Which just the thought of that makes me want to faint, but it that's right. what they do. <laughs> the closed version makes me want to faint only slightly less, but they they actually go into your nostrils and up to a certain point, depending on where they're going to be doing work. And they make an incision at each nostril, which then that allows them access to the cartilage and the bone along the nose. Um, And that has a much quicker recovery time compared to the open rhinoplasty, like you were saying. Right, and you're not going to have a visible scar because it's up in your little nastras. Right, that is something. Like, even though you're not getting your nose broken, if you get an open rhinoplasty, and probably just about any type of uh, cosmetic rhinoplasty, um, you are going to uh, have a a, a recovery time where you basically want to set aside two weeks to where you can just take care of yourself at home yeah. Um, because you're going to look very much beaten up with black eyes. Your nose is going to be extremely sensitive. One of the things I saw that you're supposed to do during recovery is to avoid blowing your nose. The thought of uh, that yeah. makes me want to faint too. Blowing your nose totally. after a rhinoplasty. Um, you want to eat soft foods, brush your teeth For gently. Sneezing. Yeah, you don't want to sneeze. Because again, you're going to have stents in your nose that are holding the shape, that are keeping the sutures from coming out. And... Um, you basically have to mouth breathe. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's from the uh, rhino, like cosmetic rhinoplasty. But there's actually other reasons to get rhinoplasty, too, that are medical reasons. And here's where your insurance kicks in. That's right. Uh, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned the deviated septum. I thought it meant that it was completely like worn away or there was a hole, which can be the case. Mm-hmm. But usually deviated septum, more commonly that is, is when that internal wall is... Uh, instead of kind of straight vertically down the center, Mm -hmm. which you have two like sort of clear airways for the nasal passages, it's moved over to one side a little more. So you've got one nasal passage that has very little room. And I would assume the other has more room, right? Not to to an advantageous way, but... I I guess it can. It depends on what's going on with the septum. But yeah, I guess... It's like a three-car garage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm actually getting this done. Uh, right, yeah, you, that's what uh, that was the idea that sparked this episode, actually. Oh, okay. So I I went in for a consult, Chuck, and I saw my septum, and one of them the um, the PA was like, I I can't even get the camera back there. Your septum is so pressed wow. up against the your the inside of your nose. Um, she didn't say the other one was wide open, although. You know, I can tell. I can actually breathe through it. But right. um, so I went in and got a, a CT scan, and now I'm waiting for them to go over the results with me. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to be getting it. Uh, and I'm scared to death because really uh, it turns out a friend of mine, I didn't know this, uh, Wes, his, his name's Wes, he just got it done. And he said that recovery was like s- some of the worst days of his entire life. Oh, no. He said it was so rotten. He said his his throat just was like pain. gravel from mouth breathing. His nose was in pain. Um, uh. He had these stents in his nose. And apparently his doctor didn't tell him 
that he'd put stents in. So Wes had no idea what was wrong. He just knew his nose felt all screwed up. And then he finally went in for the, the um, like the week later follow-up. And the doctor pulled the stents out. And he said it was just this whoosh of air through his nose like he's never <laughs> experienced before. He said he almost fainted from hyperventilating, breathing wow. through his nose. So I'm like, that's what I want. I'm willing to go yeah. through this for that. So um, Wes scared me. And then another one of our listeners wrote in <clears throat> when I was talking about getting it done, who was like, you should get it done, but you should also go into it knowing how rough the recovery is because everybody oh, downplays it. And so I'm, yeah. I guess hopefully it's going to help me a little bit knowing to expect it. I think maybe yeah. it was so bad for them because they were caught off guard. And now if I'm expecting the worst, it might not be as bad, but I'm, I'm going to go get it done. Good. Yeah. And good luck. Thanks. I'm sure it'll be fine. Let me ask you a couple of follow-ups. Oh, sure. Uh, so if you like hold the good side, if you pinch the good side down, can you breathe it all through the other side? A little, <laughs> okay. a little, not much. Man, that must be frustrating to live with. It is. Um, yes, it, it is. But I didn't, I just thought it was normal until I got right. diagnosed with a deviated septum. And then I was like, oh, Okay. And I actually asked the doctor who diagnosed me, like, dude, how did I get that? He's like, I don't know. Maybe your mom dropped you on the head. You got in a fight when you were little. And I was like, oh, I know the fight he's talking about. Really? My friend saw me in sixth grade, and I got into a fight. And the only time I've ever been punched in the nose, he punched oh, me no. in the nose. And I guarantee that's when I got a deviated septum. Oh, Sami, we got to track that guy down. <laughs> yeah. Make him pay for this. Yeah, yeah. He should at I mean, least cover financially, the financially. You know, not not rough him up. Right, right. No, of course. <laughs> we got to make him pay. Right. This is like I'm like Kanye and Sami's Pete Davidson. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this, and this may be too personal, but okay. you know, they talk about two birds, one stone. If you go in, insurance will cover the uh, the medical portion, right. the actual deviated septum. But while people are in there. Sometimes they will choose to get a little work done that you have to foot the bill for. But I think the thinking is, while you're in there, I never liked X about my nose. Mm -hmm. Like, I know you talk about not liking your nose. Are you going to do anything or do you even want to talk about that? Well, you know, I was looking at my nose as recently as today just to, to <laughs> ask myself that question, honestly. Because, uh -huh. like, it's not like I don't like my nose. It just kind of took me many years to finally be like, I'm... I like I'm fine with my nose. It's fine. It's my nose. I'm I'm cool with it. This is what I look I like. I like your nose. Um, thank you. Uh, if if you look at it a certain way in profile, I look like a cartoon gangster, like from a Dick Tracy um, strip. <laughs> it kind of looks a little bit bad. like that. But um, I, yeah. I so I I actually was like, no, nope, I'm not going to. It's fine. I like my nose. I I'm probably less opposed to it than I I was before I researched this episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think I'm going. I'm definitely not this time around. But I don't think I probably ever will. Well, here's what you do: <laughs> as you're going under, you just slip a little sticky note into the surgeon's hand. <laughs> right. They'll unfold it, and it just says, "If you happen to get rid of a little extra while you're in there by accident, <laughs> right. I won't I won't be mad at you." Are you Are you telling me that I should get a nose job? Is that what I'm hearing no, no. from you? No, no, no. I was just joking around. You're about like that. A, I like your nose. I, I never thought your nose was quote-unquote big until you started talking about it. And then, I mean, people look how they look. And right. you, you don't, like, have any prominent right. nose features like uh, like a hump or anything. So huh. I, I, don't, I never thought you had a, a big nose. Uh, I, I guess I, I don't know where I got that idea. Um, I think people look at themselves, obviously, mo more critically. Like, yeah. I look how I look. I see myself in a picture, and I'm, you know, sometimes horrified at, the, like, the kind of shape I'm in right now. But, you know, your friends and family walk around and they're just like, oh, that's what you look like right now. Well, that's funny because I, I think I trace my awareness of my nose back to uh, Valentine's Day when I was eight. My family uh -huh. always made a big deal out of Valentine's Day. We would sit, we'd, we'd put cards on one another's chairs at dinner and then have dinner and we'd get to open our Valentine's Day cards. And I remember one from my mom and dad that said, your nose is really big, but we love you anyway. Happy Valentine's Day, <laughs> mom and dad. <laughs> what? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I thought <laughs> that was good. You got me. I don't know where I got the idea that my nose is big, but I'm pretty. It's pretty well seated in my uh, my idea of myself. All right. Well, that's very wonderful of you to be uh, open like this because this is the kind of stuff that people don't talk about a lot. I think. That's uh, true. That's true. I guess not. Although I think people are starting to talk about it more and more. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So before we take a break and finish up about this whole idea of uh, what's called racial passing, uh, we will just quickly mention how much these things cost. All in, generally about five to nine to ten thousand dollars is what I've seen for rhinoplasty. It depends on where you are. Yeah. In Atlanta, course. it's 6500 to 8500 In okay. L.A., the same thing's going to cost you ten grand to fifteen grand, And that's an average yeah, cost. So more. there's definitely yeah. much higher. Um, but from what I'm seeing, like, if you it, – it's one of those things where you do your research and you find the doctor that you feel comfortable with and you go to them. Like, if you're spending ten grand on your nose – you yeah. you probably can swing a couple hundred bucks, maybe twice, to go fly out to somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else in Europe to to go to the doctor that you feel is going to do the best job. That's right. All right, so let's take that break, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, ethnic rhinoplasty right after this. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey friends, did you know that it's estimated that 85% of all customer service interactions are automated? Yeah, it's true, and customers are the lifeblood of all business. So you probably don't want to put that responsibility in the hands of a robot. And that's why thousands of business owners call Ruby and hire them. That's right. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7 all while making your customers feel special. Yep, you definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. That's right. Finding someone who cares about your business as much as you do feels impossible at times, but the team at Ruby are experts in providing the best customer experience and turn every ring into a relationship. Yep, this year can be your best year yet. Small, efficient changes can make a huge impact on your bottom line. That's right, and Ruby answers all of your calls live from right here in the U.S. They'll take messages, answer questions, route calls, and much more. Visit ruby.com, or better yet, give them a call at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right. Uh, this is something we have to talk about. It's sort of uh, one of the uglier parts of this podcast episode, but uh, we have to cover things in full. And there are surgeons who specialize in what's known as ethnic rhinoplasty with the idea that uh, and there's really no other way to say it than they will augment your nose to look more 
uh, European or Caucasian, if that's something that you're looking for. Yeah, and I mean, today it's just kind of, it's, it's some. I think so, in some ways it still ties into this idea of, you know, I could look more beautiful than I do if I have this. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a far cry from I need to pass or fit in so I can get a job or marry a husband like yeah. it was in America in the, the 50s and 60s as a big driver for those jobs. Um, but then I think if we trace it back to like the 19th century with Jacques Joseph, um, there was this idea that you could you could judge a person's moral character based on their nose, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if, if you had just a very sort of um, smallish straight nose, it was sort of a sign of a higher class. Uh, if you had any sort of like bumps or hooks to your nose, you were maybe someone to not be trusted. And these all come from the oldest like dirty ethnic stereotypes mm-hmm. that have been around since time immemorial. Yeah. And, you know, Nose Joseph was one, of, like you said, he was one of those doctors that, and these are their words that they're using, but, you know, they called it uh, the defect of Jewish uh, nostrility, which is an actual word. Oh, is it? And it would help people, you know, pass at a time when uh, being Jewish was either looked down upon or could threaten your life, or like you said, maybe uh, lead you to not getting a job as easily as you should based on your qualifications. Yep. Drop the Berg or the Steen from your last name, and all of a sudden you're just a plain Jane, average American, mid-century Joe or Jane. That's right. So um, that was actually like Jacques Joseph, and then the advent of like readily available plastic surgery was was like hugely helped along um, by this idea that Jewish people just kind of needed to do to do this, and apparently became such a rite of passage, Chuck, that by like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like. It, it was a pretty routine sweet 16 gift for Jewish uh, girls in America to get. Their parents would buy them a nose job. That was just kind of how it went, um, which is extraordinarily sad. Um, but if you if you kind of can take that and hold it for a second, it, it kind of highlights just how far the younger generations of today have come in yeah. relation to that. Because moms whose parents bought their nose job when they were 16 or like going to to offer it to their kids their daughters in particular now and their daughters are like what are you crazy no I'm, I'm fine with my nose i love my nose why do you not like my nose leave me alone um and that seems to be like getting more increasingly prevalent yeah i mean i think generation z is uh leading the charge on accepting who you are and what you look like and what you're shaped like uh and it's it's great i mean we're generation x so we've we see that underneath us, and we came from seeing boomers above us that had the moms and the dads were like, hey, why don't you get a nose job, honey? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we're just sort of caught in the middle in this uh, uh, in a no man's land almost of the of this generational shift, it seems like. Yeah, but I think there are plenty of Gen Xers that followed in that tradition of, of getting the nose job around age 16 or something like that. Well, yeah, I think because <laughs> of the influence of the boomers. I'm not blaming boomers for everything, but— you, you know, could. you sent that article about the actress uh, Jennifer Grey mm-hmm. and uh, very famously had a larger nose that I thought looked great. Yeah. And then had a surgery where she had a very different nose, completely changed the way she looked. And she said in that article, she's talking about it a lot more now, that her mom, who was an actor, said, you know, she was the one that encouraged her and said, honey, why don't you go get this done? Mm-hmm. You'll be more easily cast in roles. And she did. And I think she feels like, and I think she's probably right suffered from her new nose right. about not being cast. Yeah, the opposite happened of the intended effect where her her roles dried up. Like she went from I'm a successful movie star with my nose to changing mm-hmm. her nose to not, you know, to kind of falling out of limelight and not getting work like before. She says she regretted her um nose job. Actually two of them. She got two of them because she wasn't happy with the first one and she um I I don't know if she's ever toyed with the idea. I'm sure she has, but I I don't I I didn't read it. But there's a there's a trend among um, people who are dissatisfied with having gotten a nose job who are going back to basically get what's called a reverse nose job, which is as one I think cosmetic surgeon put it, putting the bump back in. Yeah, and I don't think if that's something that like a Jennifer Grey is considering anymore because she's kind of you know. Uh, 
close the loop on that. Mm. But uh, I think it's a pretty cool thing that people are saying, go back and give me, like, embracing themselves now. Um, as far as Jennifer Grey goes, I mean, there's she was the crush of a lot of dudes our age, mm-hmm. thanks to Dirty Dancing and uh, Jeannie Bueller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember when that happened, it, like, she just – it, the news cycle wasn't as uh, invasive back then in a lot of ways. So I didn't, I think I didn't even know Jennifer Gray just kind of went away. Uh, and then when I saw pictures of years, you know, when it, I finally saw a photo of her with the new nose, it's like, oh my God, is that even Jennifer Gray? Right. Because it was just such a signature look for her. And uh, anyway, I loved Jeannie Bueller, it, is what I'm saying. It, it is startling the difference that a nose job can make. Like if you look at, and there is a lot of before and after pictures on the internet of um, rhinoplasty. Yeah. The, it's incredible the difference that it makes, the the effect that just slight changes to the nose have on the entire look, the entire face of the person, it, that it, it very frequently makes them look like an entirely different person. Jennifer Grace definitely one of those people. She looks just like, she looks like a different person. And not like she looks like a different person because she had a bunch of work done. She looks like a different person because she has a different nose now. And yeah, uh, yeah I think it was just so characteristic of her. Um, she's not the only one who regretted getting a, a nose job, a famous person. Um, I believe Bella Hadid did as well. Um, I read that she was quoted as saying that she wishes she kept the nose of her ancestors because she thinks she probably would have grown into it or grown to like it. Um, right. And so, I mean, at least there's options of going back and getting it, you know, redone the way it was before. But um, it's definitely, it definitely gives you pause to say like, okay, if, you, if you're going to do this, like ask yourself, is somebody pressuring you to do this? Um, are you old enough to really kind of make a, a decision like this? Has your nose grown? Are you old enough so that your nose has taken what's probably going to be its final shape? Yeah, um, or your face. There's a lot of questions for you to, to, to really consider and if you go to a decent plastic surgeon they they should be helping you consider these questions um and then lastly you got anything else uh well i do think we should mention uh iranian women because you kind of teased that out at the beginning uh they have some of the highest rates of rhinoplasty in the world at 180 cases per every 100,000 mm-hmm. uh people i don't know if that's this is people and not women mm-hmm. but either way a very high rate and uh you know, there was there was an article in the L.A. Times and a woman from Tehran said uh, women do nose jobs in Iran because it's the only part of their body they can show in society. Uh, we have to wear a scarf over our hair so we get a nose job to make ourselves beautiful. And it starts in high school. Right. And uh, but apparently even there, there were much more severe rhinoplasties performed in Iran in previous generations, much more dramatic uh, reshapings. And now there are more subtle changes that still embrace the ethnic look of uh, Iranian and Persian women. So yeah, and that seems to be the trend. sort of happening everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Um, so w- what I was uh, hoping to bring up, at least to finish on, is that um, because of all those questions that you need to ask yourself, like there's a lot of concern about how, how young should you be before you start thinking about getting a nose job or any kind of plastic mm-hmm. surgery. And there's apparently a big, big problem on TikTok where there's plastic surgery um, targeting, like ads for plastic surgeons targeting um, users as young as 14. I think Business Insider set up like a fake profile and set their age to 14, and they scrolled for eight minutes before they started getting plastic surgery videos served to them. And I guess TikTok banned outright plastic surgeon ads, but the plastic surgeons have figured out like, okay, well, I'll just make a video talking about how great plastic surgery is, and it's all basically the same. Um, so it's a it's a huge problem, and you can understand like if you're 14 years old, that's probably not a good time for you to be thinking solo about whether you want a nose job or something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean it's certainly uh, a lot to weigh for sure. Uh, without the help of a social media giant <laughs> pushing you one way or another, you know? <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, Chuck said that's right, and he already said he doesn't have anything else. So. Uh, If you want to know more about rhinoplasty, go read up on it, especially if you're considering getting it yourself. Inform yourself. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. That's right. The Listener Mail we teased, and I think we should – do you have it pulled up? We should both kind of go through these. Okay, yep. Since it's a long one, we got a lot of great grilled cheese tips from listeners. And the first one we got was from Pablo 
Quintana, mm -hmm. who said, uh, when I do grilled cheeses, I make them using Manchego cheese or Oaxacan cheese grilled olive oil, tomato with butter on rye or sourdough paired with either tomato soup, clam chowder, oh my God, lentil soup, or even chili, depending on the occasion. D Pablo, you're doing it right. Yeah, Pablo knows what he's doing. Um, so after Pablo, we have Robin Russo, who labels uh, themselves a Wisconsin cheese lover. They say, try spreading pure maple syrup on the bread and use Colby cheese. Colby melts very evenly, so it's perfect. The syrup gives a nice sweetness balanced by the salt and the cheese. And then as an aside, just to show off, also, if you ever eat fresh squeaky cheese curds, dip them in cocktail shrimp sauce first. It's so good, you'll thank me later. So there's two tips from Robin Russo. That sounds really good. That syrup, uh, that sounds like something you could cut into quarters and serve at a cocktail party. Yeah. Say it sounds so delicious. Canapes? Uh, <laughs> Erica, Erica Tyler says, use brioche bread. Uh, if you're living your best life, but normal bread will also work. Mm -hmm. uh, cover the outside with butter, then dip that buttered side in Parmesan. Nice. The cheese inside is Gouda or Munster. Both are delicious. I learned this method from That Dude Can Cook on YouTube. Hats off to both. Uh, Ruth Ann L. says, make your grilled cheese, but add Dijon mustard to the inside. Takes it to an awesome level of umptiousness. Yeah, I'm not into the mustard, but I bet mustard lovers would love that. For sure. Uh, Baird Swedman says, press a couple of garlic cloves uh, into a small bowl of cream cheese and mix. Mm -hmm. That uh, There you go. Use that as your cheese filler in a grilled cheese. And you, my friends, have entered flavor country. You can thank Allison, uh, who is Baird's wife, who introduced uh, Baird to the podcast and the recipe. That sounds really, really awesome. I love cream cheese. It does, and it ties into what a couple of other people have sent in, including Virginia Beswick of Alberta, Canada. Um, she says, I like my grilled cheese with old cheddar and garlic boursin. And I think mm. garlic boursin is like a, it's like a cream cheese spread with garlic in it. So that's kind of like Allison's oh. doing the deconstructed version. This makes me so hungry. Uh, Mike Frank says this, mayo on one side, butter on the other. Why choose? Mm -hmm. uh, cream cheese spread, or better yet, a uh, borson. Uh, is it borsine or borson? Mm -hmm. All right. Creamy and tangy without throwing off the bread. Uh, the bread cheese ratio. Boom. There you have it. Good old grilled cheese. Also love truff, T-R-U-F-F, -F, hot sauce on the grilled cheese. It's unique hot sauce uh, made with truffles and truffle oil. Uh, although we know that's synthetic, Mike. You listen to our episode on truffles. He said it's pretty niche, but really great on grilled cheese. Uh, thanks for that, Mike. And here's one from Jesse Lee of Taos, New Mexico, uh, who over the um, deafening hum said, one of my favorite things to dip a grilled cheese in is salsa. Try it out with your next one and thank me later. Nice, yeah. simple, simple, but awesome. I bet that's really good. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a professional chef, and I'm going to go to this restaurant when I go to Savannah, the Bellwether House <laughs> in Savannah, Georgia, and Chef Ryan White Buck uh, explains why mayo is better. This is a little bit of a, a J. Kenji Lopez alt food science explanation, which I always love. Mm -hmm. uh, butter contains dissolved milk solids uh, that, when melted, separate and can sog up a slice of bread. Mayo, however, is oil emulsified with a very small amount of egg yolk, mustard, and vinegar. Uh, using mayo for grilled cheese will crisp the bread without sogging it up, and the mustard and vinegar will season the sandwich with spicy and tart elements. Uh, these flavors paired with the hints of sweet from the bread and the unctuous, savory quality of cheese paint a complete taste profile for the palate in a fashion similar to how complementary colors work. Very nice. The more All you right, know. go to the Bellwether House in Savannah. And yeah, for check sure. Check out the food. Uh, and then the last one is from Kayla Rohrer. Um, and she does not have a tip, but she has a recollection from playing The Sims. She said starting in early 2008, The Sims added a secret grilled cheese aspiration to their little virtual lives. If you played The Sims, you could create a secondary aspiration in life, which made your Sim obsess over grilled cheese. If they cooked, they cooked that. If they painted, they painted grilled cheese. And in their backlog of precious memories, you'd see where they finally remembered a time where they ate grilled cheese. And the comment underneath would read, grilled cheese, my favorite. Too funny. Agreed, Kayla. That is too funny. And pretty interesting. I never knew that. And she actually said she's not sure if it's related to that 2007 craft money. Remember, Kraft spent like a billion plus <laughs> yeah. on grilled cheeses? 
Yeah, the astute listener, by the way, uh, unless Jerry cuts it out, will literally hear my stomach growl right then during that last bit. <laughs> it went... <laughs> Jerry, I hope you don't cut that out. Uh, well, that's it. If you want to be like Kayla, Ryan, Jesse, Mike, Virginia, Baird, Ruth Ann, Erica, Robin, and Pablo, and write to us with whatever you have to say, you can send it via email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today or just call them at 844-900-RUBY. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.